0: Hey, friend. Hi, friend. Welcome to Better Friendships, a podcast all about creating, growing, and maintaining friendships that sustain, fulfill, and enrich our lives. We're your hosts, Julie.
1: And Katie. And I have a question to get us started. Yes. Am I a good influence or a bad influence?
0: (laughs) You're a good influence.
1: Oh, thank you. I mean, I know, but thank you. Um, I thought I'd ask, because that's our topic today, how our friendships influence us as individuals, our lives, our health, our personal growth, and our success. Quick note for today, we're going to talk briefly about Anne Sexton and her suicide. So if you're sensitive to that topic, we'll give you a warning right beforehand so you can skip over that part if you need to. So
0: when it comes to our friendship influence, it happens mostly in child in childhood and adolescence, that our friends influence our personalities as we become more similar to them over time. But the strength of our younger relationships can impact us later on in life in terms of how we engage in other relationships and how we manage stress. After adolescence, friends have much less of an impact on our personalities, but they do influence our behaviors and choices. One of the possible reasons for this influence may be that across our lifespans, we tend to select friends who have similar traits to us.
1: Like how we both like books and traveling and the movie Now and Then.
0: Oh, I love that movie.
1: It's a great movie.
0: I think that's actually a good way to talk about our first topic, which is how our friends influence us in childhood and adolescence. And it starts really early as part of our social development.
1: Oh, that makes me think of Friendship by Lydia Denworth, which we talked about in our last episode. So that book mentions that our social lives begin at birth, but that they have to be nurtured. We're born predisposed to be social, but we need practice and reinforcement, and that's actually a pretty big deal. So first quote of the day, young children have to grow into the job because connecting positively and consistently with their peers places considerable demands on emerging cognitive and emotional abilities.
0: That lines up with something that I read. Um, One of the articles that I read in preparing for this episode posits that there's a link between childhood adversity and psychological distress in adulthood. And that article said deficits in interpersonal development and affect regulation have also been proposed as intermediary links between childhood adversity and psychological distress, which is basically saying... How we learn to interact with others and regulate or manage our emotions as children has consequences for how we interact with others and manage our emotions as adults. This is one of the reasons that, personally, I am a big believer in unstructured playtime for kids. What we might see is a dinosaur battle, but what's really going on underneath is negotiating, listening to others, compromise, talking through solutions finding mutually beneficial solutions, all life skills that we need to function appropriately in adult society. And kids are learning that through play. And I mean, they're also learning it through interacting with their family and things like that. But one of the ways that they do it is through play with their friends. And childhood stress or deficits in interpersonal development can also impact our capacity to form and keep new relationships in adulthood. Stress erodes one's perception of the availability or effectiveness of social support, which leads to persistent difficulties in forming and maintaining social relationships. However, the need for these relationships is increased among people with these impairments. So if we can take a minute to go back to last episode and discuss oxytocin again, if you remember, we said it makes strong bonds stronger, but weak bonds weaker. That's part of what's at play here. The brain is getting signals based on childhood experiences that this connection is unsafe for us. And so it makes the brain more untrusting of social support. The effects of oxytocin on social support may be maladaptive in instances where social relations are either untrustworthy or unavailable, particularly in women.
1: So that sounds like it's getting into attachment theory, um, which is so interesting. When we started working on this podcast, I took an attachment theory test, just like one of those silly little online tests, because I'd never taken one before. Um, And I think we could spend, honestly, a whole episode just talking about attachment theory. But for now, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that our friendships do influence us so early in life and that those effects stay with us basically our entire lives.
0: Yeah, and it's not just childhood, it's also adolescence.
1: Oh, adolescence. I remember middle school.
0: I wish I didn't.
1: (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. You know, they told me when I was in middle school that my acne would go away when I grew up, and they lied. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, there's another quote from Friendship by Lydia Denworth. She says, middle school is about lunch. So Denworth's is talking about how if we want to understand the social lives of adolescents, being a fly on the wall in the lunchroom would be a great place to start.
0: So across the lifespan, we're making friends with people who are similar to us. In adolescence, we find friends who have similar motivational levels to us and similar academic abilities. And we'll actually adjust our academic performance to match those friends over time. And we're more influenced by our friends in adolescence than at any other time in our lives. And I actually used to be a middle school teacher, and I could see this in action every single day. You know, adolescence is really that time in our lives when we're learning who we are and how to be separate from our parents. And there's a lot of talk about how dramatic middle schoolers are, especially girls. And it's really rather unfair because this is a time when teens are discovering what they want in a friendship, what qualities they're looking for in their friendships. And, and it's really one of the first times they're doing that. And it's, it's a learning curve. It takes trial and error. There's going to be mistakes in that process, but there are new mistakes to these, to these adolescents. And that's very
1: painful
0: And they often have social consequences as well.
1: I think it's why movies like Now and Then, which we mentioned at the top of the episode, it's why movies like that are so important. There just aren't a lot of movies out there that depict girls' friendships, especially girls' friendship in adolescence, in a positive way. Um, I'm thinking specifically of, of movies like Mean Girls, which is a great movie, but not necessarily a very positive depiction of female friendship in young girls, and I think that now and then is. You see the characters doing the work of learning how to be a good friend, and also learning about themselves, and coming to the realization that being friends doesn't mean being the same. And that's something that we all come to terms with as we grow up, and it's hard too. I love when Samantha says in the movie, she's a grown-up, it's towards the end. We all used to try so hard to fit in. We wanted to look exactly alike, do all the same things, practically be the same person. But when we weren't looking, that all changed. So as we grow up, our friends begin to influence us differently. I know you did some research on how their friendships influence women in college and academia. Yes, I did.
0: I read a really good article called Understanding and Investigating Female Friendship's Educative Value.
1: I feel like this is going to be huge. Um, I remember how much our friendship influenced me when we were in college in a good way. Like I wanted to be a cooler person and a better student because I thought that you were a really good student and a really cool person. Um, So in a good way, our friendship influenced me. Me too. And
0: actually I kind of want to talk about our friendship in a little bit as we talk a little bit more about this article. So the article that I read talked about how female friendship In college is about self-discovery through the other person. So not so much trying to be the same, but in learning how to be ourselves by bouncing our own self off of someone else. And a quote from that article is, women's friendships with each other are relationships that provide a context for each woman becoming herself personally and interpersonally. And what that kind of brought up for me in terms of our friendship, and I know you and I have have talked about this incident a little bit, but there was a time when Katie and I had gone to visit some friends at another school, and we were walking around the, the campus of this other school with this boy, who I was very much, very much into at the time. And he was mansplaining to us something about um, a piece of artwork on the campus. And immediately Katie kind of jumps into this conversation and just kind of smacks him down with this art history lesson that was amazing. She just started telling him about the structure of the statue and the time period that it must have come from and and the technologies that they had to build these statues and why they look the the way they do and why they're positioned the way they do because of the technologies they had, as well as the period of art that it was coming from. And it was one of those moments for me that I was just like, wow, this girl is so smart. I wanna be smart like her. And I wanna be able to shut up these guys who think they know so much when they don't because at the time you're we being mansplained too but we didn't know that because it wasn't a word yet. And it was just that moment for me of, I don't have to hide being smart anymore. And I really think that was one of the last times that I stopped kind of pretending that I was stupid around boys to not make them feel threatened.
1: I love that you've talked about that story today. Um, I hadn't thought about that moment in a long time until we started talking about it. And I remember at the time feeling like I was being really mean. (laughs) Um, And of course you're right. Like we, it just mansplaining wasn't a a thing yet that people were talking about. Um, But I think, you know, that moment was important for me too, because you were my friend, and I felt like you were being talked down to as much as I felt like I was being talked down to, and I didn't want to let that happen. Um, all of I that to say, that. yeah. Um, all of that to say, though, that like the idea that women's friendships with each other in college are relationships that provide a space for a woman to become herself—that makes a lot of sense to me, especially especially in in context of that story. Um, when you think about how college works, that you're out on your own for the first time, you're without the connections that you've made in your life so far, and you have to figure out who that person is. And then on top of that, you have to do the hard work of being in college. I know that having you in my life helped me and I'm sure that having good friends helps a lot of women to do that better.
0: So the article actually talks about that too. It talks about how women don't see the classroom setting as a conducive space for exploring ideas. Women tend to see speaking out in class as antagonistic and potentially a social threat. It's not a place to construct and challenge ways of thinking. Rather, they see the classroom as a place for already polished ideas and not a safe place to examine and grow their thinking. So they rely on their friends outside of class for a safe place to delve into topics and ideas and their positions on those topics and ideas. Female friendship is a site for the execution of knowledge, for the realization of their thinking, is what the article said. And what I really love about this article is that it focused on growth as an important need and function of female friendship. And it was talking about academic growth here But I think we've kind of seen that, that our friendships are about us growing, even if it's in adolescence and we're just learning, what do I like? What do I not like in my friends? It's still about our growth. And the author in this article spends a lot of time explaining that women use their friendships as a means of growing themselves individually, socially, and
1: intellectually. So... I read a book earlier this month called The Equivalence. It was by Maggie Doherty, And I think it really engages with that idea. It's about the women who attended the early days of the Radcliffe Institute for Independent Study. And that was a program designed for women during the 1960s, which was not a time that that women were expected to be academic. It gave these women access to Radcliffe's academic resources. It gave them the ability to audit classes. It gave them space for their creative work. Like a room of one's own, if you will, is is one of the things it gave them. And it also gave them a stipend so that they could focus just on their study and their work. The idea behind the program was that if you gave women the bandwidth to be creative, if you got them together and you let them think and work and you gave them some space away from the domesticity that was more or less expected of them in that time. Basically, if you expected more of them in academia, that women would do amazing things, and they would live up to their creative potential, and the program worked. We still talk about these women. We talk about um, writers like Anne Sexton and Maxine Kuman. They both were... um, part of part of the Radcliffe Institute. And they had an incredible friendship that I will touch on a little later. Um, Alice Walker attended the Institute and then visual artists like Barbara Swan and Mariana Pineda, like these are huge names. We still talk about these people. I love that. Me too. Um, the Institute had just a huge impact on all these women and it gave them a chance to really throw themselves into their work at a time when that just wasn't something that women did. And after reading the book, I'm also fairly certain that being at the Institute kept Anne Sexton alive, at least for a little while, um, which is probably a good segue, because I know we also want to talk about how friendships influence our health.
0: Yeah, I did. Um, And they can influence our physical health. And I want to explore that in a little bit. But first, let's chat about financial health. I wanted to do some digging into this topic in particular, because I mean, I enjoy a good shopping trip with my girlfriends. I'm actually headed out to do that after we close up recording this episode. But the research I found was a little unclear and at times actually a little bit surprising. What I read is that men actually are more influenced by their friends when they're shopping than women are. What the article argues is that men tend to be more self-focused, And not in a selfish way, it's just they kind of see their friendships in terms of hierarchies. So spending in front of a friend is sort of a power move in some ways. It's, you know, the suburban equivalent of puffing out their chest, if you will. I just
1: got the weirdest mental image.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it made me think of that scene in Mean Girls. Where they're in the mall and everybody's animals around the, like, fountain and stuff. Do you remember that? Song? I do. I do. That's what that one made me think of. But women, um, when shopping, are more group-oriented. So spending more than a friend or spending outside of your friend's financial means could cause hurt and tension within the group. So women will try and avoid that. And what that means, and I think this is really the most important part of their research, is that according to this article, women spend less money when they shop with their friends. You heard that right. It's science. Tell your partners. We spend less money when we shop with our friends. Therefore, we should be allowed to shop with our friends more. That's what I got out of the article. But... To continue with what the article does say, it says that um, women will spend less when we're out with our friends shopping, but we will spend more on charities and other good causes when we're with our friends because of that kind of group orientation that we have. And I think that speaks to something we talked about last episode, in that women create alliances. In the case of shopping and spending, We're signaling, I'm a good ally, I will protect you and your feelings, and I want you to be part of my alliance.
1: Just thinking about what we've talked about so far, so we've mentioned our friendships influence our thinking and our academic achievement and our spending habits. We've seen evidence for friends impacting our mental health and our financial well-being, but what about our physical health? So we know that loneliness negatively impacts our health, so can connections affect it positively
0: yes they can I read an article that noted that body weight was more strongly associated between friends than between siblings or partners and it was stronger between best friends than casual friends but the article didn't really explore how or why exactly that happens
1: I think that's something worth digging into I do wonder exactly why it works that way I know that in my life, when I've been around friends who live healthier lifestyles, it does motivate me to do the same.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that too. And I've also seen in myself that I have different eating habits depending on which friends I'm out with. And I'm wondering if it has something to do with that mimicking behavior that we as people can adopt. I think that the science shows that just having friends generally keeps us healthy. When we exercise or start a new fitness program, we stick to it longer, we have better fitness results, we are more consistent, and obviously we have more fun when we join with a few
1: friends. Oh, absolutely. Did I uh, did I ever tell you about the time that I tried Bollywood dance classes? You did not. How did that go? Um, I mean, long story short, I am not coordinated enough for Bollywood. <laughs> not at all. Um, but I took the classes really only because a friend was teaching them and because several of my girlfriends were taking them. I basically only did it because I saw it as an opportunity to have fun and to be closer to my friends. And then I gave up because I am clearly not a dancer and I found other ways to be with my friends, but I only did it in the first place to be with my friends. And it was, I mean, Bollywood's, Bollywood's real athletic. Um, but anyway, Bringing it back to the big picture of friends and health, I talked a little bit in our last episode about Vivek Murthy's book, Together. He spends a lot of time talking about the positive impact social connections can have on our health and on our well-being. He references research by Dr. Julianne Holt-Lunstad at BYU that indicates that people with strong social relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely than people with weak social relationships. He notes that the impact of lacking social connection on reducing lifespan is equal to the risk of 15 cigarettes a day, and it's greater than the risk associated with obesity, excess alcohol consumption, and lack of exercise.
0: So I read an article that states all of that pretty plainly. A society which is well-connected and in which individuals have more friendships is a happier society. Right.
1: Um, women look for friends who are similar to us. We tend and befriend, which we talked about in our last episode, and we grow through knowing our friends. I think all of that indicates that most women work best and are our best when we work together, when we connect with each other and we're not trying to be competitive with each other. And I feel like that goes for everything. I mean, we've seen that that goes for everything from money and spending to health to creativity. And I just, I can't get the equivalence out of my head as we're having this conversation, just thinking about the impact that those women had on each other's lives. So a warning, I'm about to talk about what happened at the end of Anne Sexton's life. Just in case you'd like to skip over, I don't think it'll be more than a minute and a half tops. There's this moment in the book, The Equivalence, where Anne Sexton has just attempted suicide. And she did this a few times in her life. And she's called Maxine Kuman, who is at this point a very dear friend and a very trusted ally. And Maxine's gotten there just in time to get Anne to the hospital. And Anne's actually really mad about it. And she says to Maxine, you won't get another chance to save me. And Maxine Kuman says to her, well, Annie, if you're going to telegraph your intentions, you don't give me any choice. I have to rescue you. And I love that moment. It's tragic it's so sad it's so sad but I think it shows just how big and important a difference having a a friend can make and thinking about their story thinking about how Maxine and Anne supported each other so much in in all in all things in their personal lives and in their creative work it brings up another thought which is to say what is the influence of our friendships on our careers.
0: So we had mentioned in a previous episode that a non-zero percentage of women, especially between the ages 55 to 64, seek out success above other traits when they look for friends. And we wondered if that might have something to do with when they entered the workforce. And I read a book called Witches by Sam George Allen. And I wanted to share a quote because it it stuck with me after that conversation. And I think it kind of speaks to that idea of why some women might seek out success in their friends. And so Sam George Allen says, the idea persists in a lot of industries, both creative and otherwise, that most roles are for men and that the roles available to women are scarce at best. So we feel a sense of false economy and it's accompanying anxiety. Believing that there are only one or two positions available to us means that we compete with members of our own gender much more than we compete with others outside that group. And it means that we absorb the ideas that women, other women, are incompetent, unworthy of admiration or aspiration, objects of suspicion.
1: I can't tell you how many women in my in my life, like women in my own life, when I told them about this podcast, they told me these horror stories, just absolute nightmare scenarios about their female colleagues at work. And it makes me so sad and frustrated because it shouldn't be this way. And I don't think it always is. I think women can have a major impact on helping each other succeed. I think the women of the Radcliffe Institute proved it.
0: For centuries, the narrative was that women are not trustworthy, they're not capable of friendships, they're not capable of the emotional depth needed for friendships, and they will betray you. And this message was touted by church leaders, community leaders, even household leaders. And now that narrative is changing, there is still what is basically generational trauma, around female friendships. And we see it in movies, we see it in songs, we see it in the tabloids, and we even reflect it in our speech. When we call our friends our bitches, even our best bitches, we're still engaging with that idea. While I do believe there's power in reclaiming words, and certainly it can be empowering for communities to do that, I also think that Specifically, in this case, it's worth reflecting on whether or not referring to our friends with a word that originally meant a dog, and more specifically, a dog whose purpose was for breeding,
1: is truly empowerment. Do you remember when we read Yes, Sisters by Angelia White? This was way back when we first started talking about putting this podcast together. Yes, Sisters. Like what an amazing term, it's just so much better than best bitches in basically every way. I think that yes sister is such a great example of how the language we use for our friends can be powerful. Yes sisters is positive and affirming and it speaks to how close we can be to each other unashamedly, like women can love each other like sisters and how that's so much more powerful for us as a group and as individuals.
0: You know, I'd like to jump in on what you just said about how women can love each other unashamedly as sisters. And I'd like to suggest that we have an advantage in that regard. Um, Men typically in our society right now, really have with have restrictions on how emotional and close they are allowed in air quotes to be to their friends. We we talk about men's friendships as being certainly less emotional and when they are emotional we call them things like bromance. That they can't even be friends without this idea that there's romance But women, women aren't judged that way in in this particular regard. We're allowed to be nurturing. We're allowed to be loving of our friends. And I think we should really embrace that because it is a positive kind of stereotype, if you will, about our friendship. I totally
1: agree. Like women have this amazing opportunity to really lean into our closeness with each other. I think the other thing that Yes Sister shows is that women can have a power positive, powerful positive impact on each other in terms of also to bring it back to something we were talking about, their goals and careers. So Angelia White talks about the difference having yes sisters. And for the benefit of our listeners, the definition of a yes sister is basically a woman who affirms your goals and dreams and who encourages you. So Angelia White talks about the, the difference that having yes sisters has had on her own life. She says, over the years, yes sisters whose yeses have fed my courage and starved my fears have encouraged me in every facet of life. They have helped me accomplish my dreams renewed my thinking and set me on a path of growth and transformation. I'm still walking.
0: Every woman needs some yes sisters. And if listener, you need some yes sisters. I really highly encourage you to go out and, and buy the book. Yes sisters by Angelia white, because she says right in there that she wants to
1: be your yes sister. I totally agree. Yes. Yes. Yes, unequivocally, yes. Every woman needs yes sisters. Have
0: you heard of Shine Theory? I have,
1: and I love it. I honestly think it's how all women should be living our, their lives. Um, but for the benefit of our listeners, give me a definition.
0: Cool. Shine Theory was created by Amanatu So and Ann Friedman. And according to their website, it is an investment over the long term in helping someone be their best self and relying on their help in return. It is a conscious decision to bring your full self to your friendships and to not let insecurity or envy ravage them. Shine Theory is a commitment to asking, would we be better as collaborators than as competitors? The answer is almost always yes.
1: And there's a website where you can learn more SignTheory.com. I think that Anne Sexton and Maxine Human are a great example of, of Sign Theory. In a world where two female poets should have been fierce rivals, and they were often pushed to be rivals, they decided to rely on each other and to help each other and to propel each other forward and encourage each other, and their work was better for it. I also think about Tina Fey. And oh Amy my Clark. gosh, yes. Tina Fey talks about Amy Poehler in her memoir, Bossy Pants, which is an amazing memoir, so good, so fun to read. Um, She talks about how awesome it was for her when Amy Poehler joined the SNL cast. She says that things were already going well, but that having her friend there with her made everything better.
0: And Amy talks about Tina in her memoir, Yes Please. And she says, sometimes Tina is like, a very talented bungee jumping expert. All it takes is for Tina to softly say, we can do this, right? And suddenly I feel like I can jump off a bridge. Julie,
1: I love you so much, but I am not going to jump off a bridge with you ever.
0: I'm never jumping off a bridge. So
1: we're perfect. perfect. I feel like when women collaborate and work together, amazing things happen. And amazing things happen for those women personally and for society as a whole. I
0: agree. And let's talk about that in our next episode. I think there's so much to dive into when it comes to how women's friendships have influenced and in so many cases changed for the better. I'm so
1: excited. And we'll have a special guest next time, too.
0: Yes, we will. I cannot wait. But for now, let's wrap up by recapping what we've talked about today and then go over our research so we can give credit to all those scholars who helped us get this information out to you. Today, we discussed that across our lifespan, we make friends with people who are similar to us, but childhood and adolescence are the times when we are most influenced by our friends and become even more- As adults,
1: our friends can influence our behaviors and actions. They can impact the financial choices we make while shopping or our motivation for diet and exercise. But ultimately my biggest takeaway from all our research is that our friends can help us live our best lives. Whether they are literally saving us like Maxine Cumin or emboldening us to take risks like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler or gifting us with grace and patience and love like Angelia White and her Yes Sisters, our friends help us to shine. Going into research, um, and I'll try to keep you brief, I read a couple of articles, but I've referenced all books for this episode and also the movie Now and Then, which everyone should watch. It is such a good movie. You should watch it. Okay, so books. I referenced Friendship by Lydia Denworth, Together by Vivek Murthy, Yes Sisters by Angelia White and The Equivalence by Maggie Doherty. And I would also definitely recommend reading The Equivalence. I'll probably continue to talk about it in the next episode, maybe even beyond the next episode. But it was so good. It really stuck with me.
0: So I used a couple of books as well, Witches by Sam George Allen, Yes Sisters again by Angelia White, Yes Please by Amy Poehler, and then I used a whole bunch of articles, um, and I'm not going to list all of them now because I don't think you want to be here for another 10 minutes listening to the titles and authors of these, but if you are interested in our research I will certainly list all of the articles that I used in our bibliography on our website. So join us next time as we discuss the impact and influence of female friendships on society. While we're waiting for that episode to air, please like and subscribe to the Better Friendships podcast and share it with your yes sisters or your best bitches.
1: Check out our website website. too at betterfriendships.com or our Instagram at better underscore friendships We'd love to hear from you.
0: And until next time, remember, there are tall ships and small ships. There are ships that sail the sea. But the best ships are friendships. And may they all...